we're on chapter 5 and on our previous class we got up to verse 10 and of course we were having fun with the idea that Krishna is still <laughs> still trying to really make the point of the importance of action for us and this is really where Arjuna is perhaps having the biggest uh, confusion especially because he's on the battlefield he is not too keen on willing to embrace and engage in that battle and of course from an outward perspective from the story of Mahabharat where we're pretty much looking at it as peace or war and everybody's like yes Arjuna wanting peace great go for it and nobody was expecting Krishna to say no war you know and from the very beginning which is interesting even though Krishna himself participated in negotiations for, you know, just everything, helping the Pandavas, working with the Kauravas, because they're all brothers and sisters. They're all aspects of that one true self. All of us and all our mental citizens, they're all just relatives. But Krishna from the very beginning has been saying war is inevitable war is inevitable even though he's he's helping us he's saying okay you wanna you wanna find a way to just make it all work you wanna live in the world completely entrenched in maya and you want to also aspire for these greater you know then you wonder why i'm not receiving the bliss why i don't feel fulfilled why even after i have everything that i think i want i just keep wanting more so until we ourselves, Krishna has been saying war is inevitable. The need to act and engage in this battle is inevitable. But we ourselves are not yet convinced. All of us are in that position where Arjuna is, where we're still hoping there is some other way out. If there's still some way we can wiggle, you know, around what Krishna is trying to share with us. And so, of course, he brings it back, back and back. And so he's reassigned established the need for action in our last verse the where we left it was verse 10 he then of course closes it with this beautiful symbol and this visual of as the lotus leaf is untouched by water so the yogi who acts without attachment and again now he comes to how to act once again even though he's spent a lot of time on it but once again we'll revisit that subject the yogi who acts without attachment, self-offered to the divine. We went through the entire section on the yagya, on how one does offer oneself, is not affected by sensory experience. And Swamiji here puts, as I said last time, whether gross or subtle. Subtle being, even in our deep meditations, the yogi doesn't get involved and engaged in those experiences because once he knows where he wants to go, He's willing to go all the way, whether it's riches, whether it's power, whether it's fame on that outward scale. We also get that on the inward scale, greater senses of experiences, greater expansions of state of, oh, wow, I can't believe how amazing I am, even though the I still is the ego. And that happens even in meditation. People get a little uh, too drunk with spiritual ecstasy which is not yet the bliss of God, which is not yet Krishna. And so we even need to go beyond that. And here we are now on verse 11, which I find a very fascinating verse. For purification of the ego, yogis merely work with the body, mind, 
discrimination and sense organs. They are never attached to them. And this is the key word now, with. Yogis merely work with the body, mind, discrimination and sense organs. We had talked about, I, I can't remember where exactly, but I think in the whole uh, God is the doer, Nishkam Karma aspect, we talked about the example of the carpenter and the hammer. And we thought of ourselves as the hammer and God as the carpenter and us being the instruments for God's work. But now let's kind of place our body, our mind, our senses, our discrimination as the hammer and our soul or as the, the infinite uh, perception within us as the carpenter. And so a carpenter won't never thinks, you know, even though he's like, I'm hammering this nail right now. But the carpenter is very aware that he's not the hammer. Now for us, when we identify with our bodies, with our minds, with our personalities, with the sensory experiences that we receive, it's like, it's like us holding this hammer and then not letting it go at all. And, and now I have this hammer in my hand and I think I am this hammer, this hammer is a part of me. And everything that is in front of me now looks like a nail because this is all I have. Whereas a carpenter knows, okay, now is the hammer. Now I need to let go of this hammer. Now I need to pick up a screwdriver. Now I need to let go of the screwdriver. Now I need to pick up something else. And he uses all the tools that he has. And if you, we don't have that kind of pride yet in India in terms of the tools, but um, most of us have not grown up with that consciousness of using our hands and tools a lot. You know, the only tool we now have is our cell phone and uh, we're very attached to it. It's very much a part of an extension of our hands now. But there's a great pride in any craftsman for his tools, in how he keeps them, you know, very, very orderly and how he cleans them and oils them and looks after them and so that responsibility is very much on us to take care of the body to feed the right information to the senses to keep the mind engaged in the right direction to keep the mind sharp and the intellect and discrimination constantly aware but we're always using these things and this is the key where the yogi gets to the point where he doesn't just overcome the ego, he recognizes that the ego itself is a tool to be used. And that's how the masters work in this world. They're just so aware of, okay, this is just a hammer, and this is just a screwdriver, and this is just a chisel, and knows when to use what, and it's just so beautiful because they know exactly what they're trying to make and no part of it is them. I mean, imagine us, you know, having to hold the hammer and the screwdriver always in our hands and have somehow a saw over here. And, and this is how we are because we don't know how to be able to use things appropriately and let go. And so I have this hammer and I only know this one thing. And so even if a person I want to show them love, I only have this hammer. I can't even really hug them because in the end, I'm still just using that hammer because I'm so identified with it. And that's where, how we are with our bodies, with our minds, with our understandings, with our opinions. We're not really able to see how to use them, how, to, how at the end they become 
or we become that what they are using. Our body has greater power over us. Our mind has greater power over us. It dictates how we act in the world and we have no control over that. And so uh, first and foremost is this beautiful opportunity, this experiment to see, you know, okay, how, how identified am I to the body? This very consciousness that I move rather than to say, my body is moving. I'm, I'm unmoving. That which is perceiving the body move, it's really in God already. It's with God already. Ah, I am, you know, it's like, I am angry. I am upset. No, you know, anger is being expressed. You know, upset, whatever is happening through me. And how are we able to make that detachment a little bit? And that is why, especially on the path of Kriya Yoga, why we start with the Hongso technique. It's so important that the first thing we learn, rather than learning, you know, the main technique, which is the Kriya, you'd think that, you know, these great masters would say, here you go, this is this amazing technique, you know, just start practicing it. Because even in that, there's attachment. And even in that creeps the understanding that I am doing this technique. I practice this technique. Whereas in Hong So, that first step the masters want us to learn is can you watch your breath without identifying with it? If that can happen, then based on that ability where it is, I use my breath rather than I am the breath. And so that becomes the very foundation upon which even Krishna wants us to start kind of expressing ourselves. Can the yogi merely work with the body, with the mind, with the discrimination and senses and never be attached to them? This is a wonderful experiment for us to just see. When you start getting too identified, when you start, there was a person in, in the early days of Ananda. Now, I don't recommend this because Sometimes, you know, we just, we paste on an, an experience which is not truly already ours. And she, or he, I can't remember now, would refer to themselves as this unit of consciousness. Because it was like, I can't have any ego, you know. I can't say me, I can't say I, I can't say my body. So they would just go around and say, this unit of consciousness thinks, this unit of consciousness does. And well, while it's cute for a little while, that's not what we're trying to say. What we're trying to really say is that the masters don't kind of go around trying to show us how detached they are. They're just so real. They're so natural. They're so at ease in everything. Just as the carpenter is at ease. He's not like, I'm not hitting the nail. It's the hammer that is hitting. He doesn't have to make up any show of it. He's just so aware. And he knows exactly how to use every tool every technique, every aspect of his body, of his movement, and of that which has been given to him. And that's what we must learn as well. The God-united yogi, relinquishing attachment to the fruits of action, attains unshakable inner peace. That person, however, who does not direct his energies upward toward union with God, is ruled by desire. So it's pretty much either the energy is going up in an attempt to unite with God or everything else 
is ruled by desire good bad ugly very wonderful desires or not that's just what's going on attached to the fruits of action he lives in perpetual bondage so as long as there is an attachment to the fruits now i like the understanding that krishna brings in where he's not saying don't you know he's not saying don't be attached to action itself because of course that's what he means but it's helpful for us to see not to be attached to the fruits of the action because otherwise it's really hard when i say tell somebody don't be attached to this action it's like okay then i'm not going to do it that that tendency to move from action to inaction is so strong in us that if we only talk about don't be attached to the action itself and that's why it's hard to say just don't be attached to your body don't be attached to your words but rather than looking at it that way don't be attached to the outcome the energy that is generated from it because then there's a little bit more distance it's hard to okay how do i not be attached to the fact that i'm i'm right now talking to you ah but i can try and not be attached to how my words are perceived i can try and be not be attached to whether or not i did a good enough job so there cre- there becomes enough distance between the action and the possible outcome of the action that that distance can give us the detachment that we need it's very hard in the moment to be completely detached so we strain ourselves by first looking at the fruits a lot of people ask us how can i be uh, you know less attached to my children for example i mean that's a big thing here so it's not going you know it's not going like um, yeah just don't be attached to your children you know, you have to give your children everything and if you tell people be detached from their children they feel that means i'm not supposed to give my children everything and it's it's a real dichotomy it's a, it's a real uh, you know issue how do i give everything and not be attached to my children and this is where don't be attached to the fruits which is give everything to your children but then don't be attached to what your children do that what's the outcome of everything what they become how they perform in their exams whether they listen to you whether they love and respect you in return that's what we try to detach ourselves with and in doing so while giving everything to your children you learn how to detach from them similarly in not being attached to the fruits because the fruit comes a little later it creates enough space and time for us to learn and allow that detachment to take place that in return we learn how to be fully engaged in an action without actually becoming attached to that action however krishna is saying as long as there is attachment to fruits in whichever form as long as you're attached to your kids as long as you're attached to what you expect from them the outcome of what you've done in raising them the outcome of any action any desire any energy put into motion which is practically everything every breath is an action as long as there is an expectation is an attachment to the fruit there will always be perpetual bondage and that word perpetual is is very important for us because it means that it just continues it's infinite in that sense as long as there is attachment to the fruit so this isn't a small thing this isn't 
And that's why Krishna is just bringing it up again and again, again and again. This is something we have to nail down. How is it that we're going to be able to distance ourselves, detach ourselves enough from the expectation, from the fruit itself, to then be able to detach ourselves in every moment as it is happening. When, when once the embodied soul has controlled the senses and mentally releasing every attachment to activity remains blissful and secure in the city of nine gates. I like, <laughs> I like this. The city of nine gates, which is what? Which is the physical body. Well, the city of nine gates are our openings in our body, our eyes, our mouth, our ears, our nose, our excretory systems. And it's interesting that Krishna calls us a city of nine gates. I mean, the nine gates is not really the key point here. It's that we are a city. And in, what happens in a city? In a city, we are in Mumbai. And I'm not talking about when the city is in lockdown. But in the city, you've got thousands, here millions of people, each of them just going about their own business, each of them with their own agenda, each of them with their own desire, with their own expectations. So Krishna wants us to understand that we too are, our consciousness is a city. And the gates is interesting because the gates are what? That which allows any, something to come in and to leave. And our gates are both our influences, what influences our mental citizens, what influences the citizens of our consciousness, and what do these citizens put out. And that's another important part of who we are and our experience. And Krishna is saying, when the senses have been brought under control, when the mind, when there is a mental release from attachment to all activity, then and only then do all our citizens, do all this entire city, and that is the Mahabharata, isn't it? That this entire kingdom is at war because we are at war with ourselves, with our own tendencies, not just the good ones, not just the bad ones. Every one of them is at cross purposes and then they you can say group together and so now we have two parties very clearly aligned one energy going up one energy going down and now they're at war but for most of us we're not even that we don't even have two parties <laughs> we have a thousand parties and we have to first bring them all into at least two different opposing energies before we can even get to the war right now we're in chaos so from chaos, we get to at least battle formations. <laughs> and then from battle formations, hopefully we see someone will be victorious. And of course, we have Krishna. So we know that we will be victorious because as long as we have Krishna, victory is assured. And he says, so remains blissful and secure in the city of nine gates, which is the physical body. And he himself no longer acts nor does he impose action on others. And Swamiji has put in there, or on his outer senses. And that's where we came to that particular point, that at a certain stage of our spiritual 
unfolding will come to the absolute understanding that never have we actually been involved that part of us that we identify ourselves has always been blissful even in the body even in the senses even in this manifested creation bliss has always been ours and these this is what the saints are constantly trying to teach us patanjali talks about self realization this state of complete union as smriti as a remembrance it's not so much that we've kind of toiled hard to attain this stage it is that we've actually toiled hard to uh, relearn and remember that this stage was always ours to begin with and for us and for those of you who especially have a guru that's how we start to create this i'm not the doer i want him to flow through me i want him to give me the ideas in fact uh, swami ji would often say you know blame god for your for your inadequacies even he likes that because at least you are bringing that awareness that he's responsible he's the one flowing through it even through my lower tendencies even right now because that's the that's the state of consciousness that i can express meaning that's how much i can allow god to express through me and right now i can only let god allow anger to express through me great what can i do he's doing this and as our own experience and our own consciousness opens to allow more of god to express through us well that's going to be wonderful as well so oh you know start creating that relationship for narayani and me it's always about okay you know let's see what master can do through us because we're not very capable individuals uh, especially when you come on to the path in the early days and you and you look at other people and you're just like god these guys know everything they can do everything you know you just like there's no project that you see somebody stumbling or confused over oh let's go create this let's go start that and it's just everybody knows what they're doing and in the beginning you think they're just very skillful individuals until you start to realize that in our own inadequacies somehow as we start to attune ourselves something happens stuff happens things just manifest that in ourselves we would never have been able and you've had this experience too except if you're not aware enough of this connection this divine connection you'd mistaken it to be happening through you or because of you but only it's happening only because of you in the sense of that which you're allowing to be expressed and when energy is high when there's joy when there's enthusiasm for what we want to do naturally god can express more through us and this is why the saints aren't like ah this body is horrible and this everything is no i mean they're just so passionate about the, doing something with it they want to do i mean they're just like they're so passionate i mean master was so passionate about the fact that baba ji's given him this mission and come hell or high water i'm going to manifest this i'm going to make this happen because baba ji's power flows through me and he was a self realized master he didn't even have to refer to baba ji he didn't even have to refer to his own guru he could have just said i'm doing this because the i that he's talking about is very much the i krishna is talking about but even then He says, "Babaji uses my body. Babaji's divine mother is giving me these inspirations, and so we can try to the best of our abilities to emulate that. Even in the lowest things that we do, let's bring that consciousness in."
another fun and a little confusing <laughs> uh, verse now comes and this is verse 14 it is not god the sovereign self who creates in mankind the consciousness of acting in this world god neither causes people to act nor does he entangle them in the karmic consequences of their actions it is maya the cosmic illusion which acts through them. <laughs> now, just before we said, you know, let God be doing everything through us. But of course, our definition of God and how we perceive God is uh, where the subtleties start to come in. There's no right definition from him for him anyway, or her or whoever. <laughs> he's everything and he's nothing. And it's he's in, he's in everything and he's you know, involved in absolutely nothing. So here, of course, Krishna is helping also us see those two aspects of the divine. There's God in his blissful Satchitananda state, the state each human being is desperately seeking. No matter the worst of sinners, the hardened criminals, or the saint who is just there, all of us are seeking that bliss. It is why we act. It is why we do anything. It is every desire that blossoms in our heart is for that bliss. So God's just drawing us one way or the other. He's placed that bliss before us. He's placed himself before us. And he knows like a moth <laughs> to the light, we're going to buzz towards him. Of course, we're going to go around in crazy circles before we make that journey. But then everything else is actually God's laws. And it's not God that's asking us. It's not Krishna who's saying you must act. He's not Krishna who's saying right action versus non-action versus, versus inaction. It is in fact the law that God has put into motion in order for creation to sustain itself. And of course, we can go into a great debate on why should creation sustain itself in the first place. But again, it's a, it's a debate that will lead us nowhere and it'll still keep us exactly where we are, still needing to act, still needing to move forward, still needing to move towards that light. So we might as well do it and not confuse ourselves too much in the thinking of the wise but more interested in thinking of the hows. How am I going to do this? Not why did God create? Well, whatever his reasoning was, it's not that he had a reason anyway. That's just our own limited way of thinking about it. But here we are, and no matter how much, and no matter what answer anybody gives you, it's never going to satisfy you. As our Param Guru said, Sri Yukteswar, there are certain things that can only be answered in the infinite so we've got to kind of get there you know you've got to get to your final stage before you're even able to perceive what that answer might be but for us it's important to realize that the laws that God's created has nothing to do in a sense with him and Maya itself is God except you've got Maya representing all three aspects that we were talking that we've been talking about so often the gunas you've got maya in the tamogun you've got maya in the rajogun you've got maya in the sattva guna and our intention is to move up the ladder towards sattva and so you've got inaction as tamas you've got action as rajas you've got right action 
not as sattva, but right action is as rajo sattva. And then you've got sattva, which is consciousness. And then you've got God, which is the state of turiya or triguna rahitam, beyond the gunas. And so that state has no interest, action, inaction. In fact, the next verse, which is again very beautiful, he says, the all-pervading is not concerned about people's sins or virtues. Wisdom is eclipsed by cosmic delusion. Mankind thus becomes bewildered as to the difference between right and wrong. So there is no God wants you to do this versus God doesn't want you to do that. God's just bliss. God doesn't expect anything, sees nothing as right or wrong. However, Maya, in fact, which is cosmic law, even spiritual law is still just Maya. No matter how close you get to God, you're still in Maya until you are not. And Krishna is awakening in Arjuna the desire for that state. But since we're in Maya, we have to use Maya. And we have to use Maya's own ladder from Tamas through Rajas to Sattva. No matter how, no matter where we are on that scale, we're still going to have to flow through that ladder and then and only then will we get to God. But God himself, that divine state of ecstasy that we're seeking, it has no agenda here. Krishna said even, I can't remember in which chapter, he says, I have no agenda, I have no interest, there's no expectation. I mean, when, when Krishna is talking about be attached to all, uh, you detached from all fruits of all actions, I mean, for God, that's all of us. He sees no expectation from any of us except that Maya's wheels keep turning and as long as those wheels turn, we're subject to them. And therefore, it is in our own interest to act in alignment to get out of that wheel, uh, that constant wheel. And where are we on time? Okay, I just wanted to end with, in fact, if I want to skip these next two um, verses and I want to get to 18th verse because it continues to say what we're saying which is such freed souls view with equal gaze a pious priest a cow an elephant a dog and an outcast now we can replace these pious priest dog elephant outcast whatever else Krishna put in there with anybody in the world right now. You can put in there Trump, you can put in there Prime Minister Modi, you can put in there the Rhea Chakravartis and the Shishan Singh Rajputs and whoever. If you have a list of how you think and how you see people, know that the gaze of God does not see them the way you see them at all. And that's an important perspective for us to have. Narayani was talking in the very beginning that short meditation about getting to the top of the hill. Don't wait and expect that you'll get to the top of the hill and at that time your consciousness will be refined. You've got to pretend, if nothing else, right here, right now, try your best. And for those of you who, you know, feel truly, sincerely that this is a real goal for you, freedom is not just uh, the in thing to be trying out, but freedom is 
an actual real deep yearning inside you be very mindful of this fact god sees everyone exactly the same no virtue no sin no good no bad no dog no elephant no trump no whoever no anything that you think on the scale of right and wrong and you've got to we've got to get to that part where our hearts are open enough to perceive that now the the caveat here is does that then mean we treat everyone exactly the same and we just kind of you know whoever is bad we just let them be bad and whoever is good we have we give them no special extra energy to continue to encourage them on the uh, path to goodness of course that's not true and again we've got to come to the relationship of the parent and the child because it does that so beautifully you've got two children the parents obviously going to love both their children equally and see them as completely equal energies however one child might be more studious one child might be more extrovert uh, extrovert and introvert one might be you know a little bit more artistic uh, artistic creative one is into pranks one gets upset easily one listens to everything the parents say and so the parents love and the way that they see their children doesn't have to change for them then to appropriately respond to what the child is and this is then where both god and god's laws play into motion so we have the perspective of god and then we've got god's laws that in fact balance it all out you don't have to be sending negative energy to trump that guy in fee the laws of the divine are already going to take care of that that's what god is trying to that's what krishna is trying to place in us you don't have to be the one to create that because that when you do that you then get subject to the laws and that negativity even if it's deserved well it's going to come back at you and because god did not create karma god is not compelling you to act you are hell bent on acting by sending out that negativity you are hell bent on acting by creating judgment by dividing the world into what you think what you perceive as right and wrong and as long as you're hell bent to do that you're going to be subject to just that you will be divided you will find right and wrong inside you you'll never come together in that one united state of bliss so that's what krishna's uh saying today <laughs> encouragement is for today you know get to the top of the mountain yeah i was thinking towards the end of swami kriyananda's life he had a big realization about how he perceived himself mm. and he said he saw himself and this is how he described it as an event for which i am responsible this is how he saw his actions his thoughts the projects projects he created i mean the the conversations the advice uh, everything he did he was an event a creation of god yet 
he was responsible for everything he did or how he behaved. And this became like not just an intellectual concept. I mean, it was like a um, realization, like an inner realization where all the veils are being gone and, and you just know who you are. And it's such a beautiful description because it doesn't exclude from that sentence like I'm not going to act or I'm indifferent or I'm completely detached. That comes later once you come, once you take responsibility for your actions. Uh, Shurjo was talking about that detachment that especially parents should have <laughs> with their children. The truth is even God is attached to us because you know we have come through divine mother's womb. You know we have been created by God, through God. So how he could not be attached to us. We are his children and he's given us everything and he wants to make sure that, you know, we just uh, fulfill and have success in every lesson that we have to learn. Yet he removes himself from <laughs> our lives and he allows us to do and to explore and to experiment and to play and to get dirty and to be falling on the floor and cry and laugh in the way we want. So in the same way, we should treat and behave and see those, you know, our children, those possessions that we have and coming back to Swamiji, even how to perceive ourselves and that will create a detachment also from your body. Krishna today was talking about how saints use their body, how they relate to it, how they act through them without identifying themselves. Um, our friend Ashanaya Swami is practicing this in a very serious way <laughs> to the point she doesn't have a mirror in her house. She doesn't feel the need, nor she wants to keep reinforcing, keep relating to her appearance, her body, her wrinkles and her hair, or whatever we identify ourselves with. So it's going to be up to us to create little tricks and not to keep identifying with our age how we look like. Yes, we are responsible, especially when we are in front of other people. Swamiji was so sweet. He says, you know, everything about you should be a service to other people. You know, how you present yourself to the world, that in itself is an act of seva. Yet, you know, find ways where you don't keep reinforcing that self-identification. Swami Kriyananda in his book, I think the Raja Yoga book, he gives a very specific uh, technique on how to keep detaching yourself from the body. He says, every day on the shower, when you are taking your shower and you're just, you know, with the soap, you know, cleaning your body and washing and all those things, just keep reminding yourself, well, 
this body soon will be dust. <laughs> so this body, you know, it's just like a couple more years. Well, this body will soon disappear. It will be ashes, you know, it will be like, I don't know, dematerialize. So I tried that <laughs> a few years ago and it was very interesting how, you know, after a couple of months, I felt like that freedom from really always needing to feed the body and its needs and you know its desires and its craves no cravings 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 so i need to try well, that then yes so why not all of us you know start doing that i have forgotten since the last few years to practice that but today i i, I thought you know maybe it's time to Bring come back, back to that practice and i think i would like to leave it on that one how we can really see um, God creating us having that attachment with us and yet putting a space you know allowing us you know to do what we want see ourselves as an event for which we too need to be responsible and make sure that we know we we live this earth you know creating good deeds as the bible says or krishna says <laughs> everyone <laughs> says everyone's like <laughs> creating good deeds some people can't really remember you from who you are at your highest and there was a last thought that when you were talking just came to mind swamiji relates and explains that Spiritual maturity is the ability to relate to others, Other people realities. people's realities. So before we become too prompt to mm. judge other people, to criticize them, to you know put them in boxes, or I know all of them, I they always behave like that. You know, just if you really are you know want to know if if you are making a spiritual progress you know practice by before judging try to relate where that person this other person is coming from and try to understand from your center to his center her center and, and make a bridge i mean really this should be this should be like a our priority we should always try to create bridge to connect people at, at the middle ground where we don't impose ourselves to them where we not allow them to impose themselves on us but we really relate to their realities and why they might be saying that or doing that and and just let's be responsible for our actions, our judgment and criticism, and just do our best and both with the body, detachment, and leaving a little bit of a space, and then trying to understand other people's points of views. And I think we have even more homework than we usually do. But always homework. There are two, three things there that you can just choose whatever you want most of us are now at home anyway so <laughs> <that> <laughs> we have all the time to do all this homework <laughs>